Welcome to the Recovery from Relapse Workshop. My name is Toby. I think that's right. <laughs> I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hello. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, um, I ask that all cell phones and other electronic equipment be turned off. Um, the session is being taped, so anyone uh, wishing to share will be required to sign the speaker release form that we have up here on the podium um, before sharing. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed, other than the one that we're doing. Um, the opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or o Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. An Ask It Basket will be circulated for the question and answer portion of the section, and it's um, already out there in the audience somewhere. Um, so you can just hang on to it for a moment, but then um, if anybody has a question, the Ask It Basket is out there. If you enjoy the workshop, we encourage you to stop by the tapes table to order copies of the session or any other session. They will be available on CD or as an electronic download after the conference. Um, and if I could please invite Barbara up to read the 12 steps for us. Hi, I'm Barbara, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Barbara. The format of this session is as follows. Um, John is going to speak, and this is not incorrect, so how long is it? Um, well, I'm going to be off and on the whole time, uh, but we're going to take a little bit of time to do some workshop stuff in the middle. So. Great. Um, and then we also have question and, and yeah, answers. Well, okay. Excellent. Okay. Without further ado, let's uh, give a round of applause for John. I'm going to pull this out of the way because I got news. Yeah. Oh. My name's John. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, hey, gang. 
This is a, a different layout than I was expecting. I thought we were going to have rounds and we'd be doing things on tables. So uh, uh, later we're going to do a little bit of a, like maybe some writing and brainstorming. So uh, we may just have to do it in a little bit different way than we're going to do. Um, let me first give my qualifications. I've been coming to OA for 33-plus years. I've uh, been maintaining 105-pound, you know, about 105-pound weight loss for almost all of that time, well, within a few years. Uh, and I have 20 years of abstinence. Um, now, the difference between 33 and 20 is why I'm up here leading a relapse workshop, you know, because uh, a good, uh, you know, you know, 20-plus years ago, I was absolutely miserable. I was like, you know, talk about you know, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. I was going through this miserable relapse. And this is with somebody with 10 years in program, somebody who was, you know, knew the first 164 pages of the big book, knew all this stuff, knew all the slogans and all that stuff, and it was of absolutely no use to me, you know. Um, the other thing is it wasn't a pure relapse. We're not talking I just ate from one end to the other. I would get a week of abstinence, I'd lose it. And then I'd get two weeks, I'd lose it. I'd get a month, I'd lose it. I'd get a couple of months and I'd lose it. On and off and on and off. And, uh, you know, it was miserable. Um, since I've been back, twenty, I celebrated 20 years in March. And I spent a lot of time looking at, at back, not not, uh, you know, just to try and understand what it was that didn't work, what then did start working, and where, where I didn't understand certain things that, that I wish I had. Uh, I'm no expert. I'm just another member. The thing is, is I, I, I joke with people when I lead these kind of relapse workshops. I'm just the guy who went through the minefield first and stepped on every damn mine there was. So I'm turning around going, watch out for that one, <laughs> you know. By the way, I spent 15 years as a stand-up comic, so if I end up going off into some comic thing, just I call it comedian's Tourette's. Just uh, uh, I don't I don't do it deliberately. But what I will say is is you know this workshop it'll be about that. We'll do a little writing together and an ask it basket. Um, I'm hoping maybe it'll help some people identify where you know obviously knowledge like it says in the big book knowledge of our disease alone will not cure us but to understand for me how the disease works during the relapse cycle I thought it helped it's helped a lot of people um, I, at the bottom of all of this the 12 steps is the answer I believe to the core of my soul that the 12 steps are a way out of compulsive eating and the only thing is, the big if with a capital I and a capital F is if you're willing to do the work, you know. Um, this is a very complex disease. It's a very complex program. There's so many layers. The longer I'm around, you peel that onion and you just keep finding more and more layers and um, uh, you realize how, you know, incredibly complex it is. It, it, disease it is. And the overall answer, you know, is still on page, you know, 45 in the big book, which says, that, you know, this is a program, you know, to help find a power greater than yourself to, you know, help you with your problem. Um, but, you know, the program for me it, it, and everything I've learned from when I came in, you know, it's a threefold disease. It's a spiritual disease. It's a spiritual malady. At the bottom, bottom level of my disease, it, the underlying malady is the spiritual disease, the spiritual damage, a spiritual hole. Everybody has different ways of saying it. Um, Above that is the engine that drives my behavior, which is the emotional, the mental component of this, the psychological. People don't like to mention that, but in a lot of ways, it, it's sort of that. And the upper end, of course, is the physical, you know, the fact that we eat, you know, um, and eating food behaviors. And for me, 
the most important word that I need to use in my food in relative uh, terms to my food is the word addiction and addictive behaviors because that's what I am. When it comes to the foods I have problems with, I am an addict. I can't just say, well, I have a food problem. I'm an addict. And I, I, you know, even if it's not as horrible as somebody else's, having the, the mindset of I'm an addict, this is an addiction, how do I take care of it and take it that seriously, I think is part of the key to, to, to working with this stuff. The other thing that I learned, yeah, I came from another program first, I got 33 years in that program too, is that while it is, it is, we get sick spiritually first, and then we get sick mentally, and then we get sick physically, we recover in the opposite order. We have to get better physically, then we get better mentally, and then we eventually will get, thanks, <laughs> we get better. I've got to have my diet, Dr. Pepper. It's, it's uh, serene through caffeine. That's my, my slogan. Um, but we get better in reverse order. Um, and so this workshop... This workshop is going to focus on one small part of this, and that is to how do we, we work on, on finding a vital starting point from which we can then do all the other stuff. The, all the other stuff being things I'm not going to talk about here, but um, really talking mainly uh, about how to get going. You know, you know, if you read the big book, I, and I've read that thing from cover to cover, and they keep making new pages. Have you noticed that? You know, the longer you're on, well, this wasn't here the last 33 years. Um, you're never left with any illusion that you do have to put the substance down first. You know, there isn't anywhere in there that gives the impression, well, if you do all this stuff and you work on the steps and you do all this, then you'll magically not want to drink anymore and it'll be easy or, you know, work on it and then you won't drink. For me, I... I, I sincerely wish it worked that way, and if it, and if it did, I, I would love it, but, you know, it doesn't. For me, it involved having to put, you know, do the first step first, you know. It, you know, I've, you know, I, anyway, it's just my, my, my belief. You know, I love, the, you know, I tell my sponsors, you've got to figure out what, you know, nobody in a way tells you what to eat, but you have to figure it out. You have to, for me... How can an addict not have some idea of where the boundaries of his or her addiction is um, without that? You know, I, I, I like to joke, you know, many people have heard the expression, you know, OA without spirituality is a diet or without the steps is a diet. Well, the other phrase I like to say is that, you know, OA without a food plan, OA without taking care of the food, it's a wonderful program. It just happens to be called Al-Anon. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, just if Al-Anon's a wonderful program to help you integrate the steps into your life and help you with that, but it won't do anything for the food. And that's why so many people I know who started in Al-Anon end up here because it involves having to take care of the addiction, you know. And I mention that because people go and go, oh, all he did today was talk about the food. Well, this is the, you know, again, it's a very focused workshop. There's so much more to this than, than just the food. Thanks, Jerry. Um, but, you know, you got to, you know, the, one of the phrases I hear in the other program more than this one is first things first. First, used to, I, it was up on the wall of my first clubhouse. I used to see it every day. And I love this, that, you know, some people say, you know, it's not about the food. And I love, I heard somebody has a great slogan. He says, it's not about the food unless it's about the food. And then it's all about the food until it's not about the food. <laughs> you know, and that may sound confusing, but it's, you know, if, if all I'm doing is being in the food, it's, it's what I need to work on, you know. Um, and for me, uh, you know, finding a food plan and finding something that works. I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm on a little pet peeve. And it's not a pet peeve as much, but the things... 
you know, I hear people saying, well, my abstinence is this, and my abstinence is this. And I, I've, told, I've told my sponsees, you can tell me what your program is, you can tell me what your food plan is, but you can't tell me what your abstinence is. And I'll tell you why. Because OA has a definition. It is a real, real-life definition. You can look it up on OA.org. It is not suggested, okay? And let me, let me just take a second to read what it says. It says, abstinence in Overeaters Anonymous is the action of refraining from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors while working towards or maintaining a healthy body weight. Spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical recovery are the, is the result of living the Overeaters Anonymous 12-step program. And they added that um, part about moving toward or being at a healthy body weight a while ago to hope, I believe, I don't know, because I wasn't at that, I've been at conferences where we added stuff to that, to try and help people break the denial. Wow, I'm calling myself absent, but I'm gaining weight. I'm calling myself absent, but I've been maintaining 300 pounds for the last three years. You know, um, it's not about judgmental, it's just about, you know, why are we here, you know? And, And for me, I think it's an important thing to mention, you know? Anyway, in retrospect, the, the autopsy I did for myself on my relapse, when I look back, there were two huge parts, that components that went into that. One was the concept of the disease, the, you know, the disease concept, and what did that really mean? I talked about it all the time, but I never had a good concept of what the disease was, you know, and how it worked in me. Um, the other thing, <clears throat> I had no real clue of, again, I would parrot what you guys told me to say, was the concept of powerlessness. What was powerlessness as it had to do with my disease? You know, um, The thing I had to come to realize that I have a disease that works in my brain. And there's a great lady up in L.A. named Marcy who, who has the greatest slogan. She says, look, you can't fix a broken brain with a broken brain, <laughs> you know? It just can't be done. It's like Wiley e. Coyote out there, you know, sawing the uh, branch and, and hoping things are going to work out. Uh, what I had to realize is that at least in the beginning, when I'm trying to get out of the food, I could not listen to my brain because it was not, it did not have my best intentions at, at heart, you know? It was moving me toward not recovering, not recovering. Um <clears throat> So anyway, the disease. I, I always, you know, everybody's heard that. I used to say it all the time. And, oh, it's a disease, a disease. And, 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 but in back of my head, it was like, well, if it makes you people feel good to call it a disease and it takes away some of your guilt, fine. I really get in the core level of me today, this is a disease. You know, it has, it has absolutely uh, symptoms. You know, I can go to a, my home meeting, Serenity Sunday in L.A., I can go there and one week I can hear some, you know, little Jewish lady from Bel Air who's got more money than, than all of us combined speak. And the next week it'll be somebody from South Central. And it's the same story. You know, yeah, the details are different, but the same pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization, the same attempting over and over and having no result. That's one of the concepts of the disease. Also, none of us wanted this. I don't know about you, or maybe somebody did, but I didn't wake up thinking, gee, I want to have to think about something that so many people in the world don't even have to think twice about every day. Um, but the other thing is, is that there, more and more, you know, I got, I got a, you know, a decent brain. They're finding out so much more science-wise every day, you know. In the big book, there's a section that talks about, you know, we used to be, there was a time we could pick, take or leave our alcohol, but at a certain point, past that invisible line. That's been in there since, what, 1937? Well, about 15 years ago, they found out there's an enzyme that burns out in the human body called alcohol dehydrogenase, okay? 
that scientific basis that what those guys said all those years ago is real. It's not just, you know, in some people. It's an enzyme. It means you can, you can no longer metabolize alcohol. It happens to people who drink a lot. It happens to certain ethnic groups. It's there. Early on in OA, there was sort of a little bit of a schism, but a lot of people believe, gee, flour and sugar, it, it, you know, it seems that it's really hard to stay abstinent if we're trying to do a little flour and a little sugar. Maybe it's something we want to look at. Well, how many years later, the things come out about, uh, you know, serotonin and, and dopamine and, and the glycemic index and the Atkins diet, and science is being found out more every day that this is real. This is physiological. The physiological addiction has to be broken before you can deal with so many other parts of this, this program. Um, <clears throat> you know, but the whole thing I had the hardest time grasping was the concept of it being a disease within me and to try and find a way to put a face on it. You know, I would say the disease, but what did I believe? You know, most of us, if you got to a certain age, have known at least one person or two people or friends who've had cancer, who've been diagnosed with cancer, right? And for, for a lot, like, you know, I only speak for me, I've known people who've been diagnosed with it, who got it, who went to, into remission and it came back. At no point would any of us have ever said, God, you're so stupid for getting cancer again. Didn't you learn the first time? You know, yet we ate again. We went and relapsed again. And here's the thing about cancer. Cancer is in those people's bodies. They are growing those cells. So in a way, they have as much right to take guilt on because it is in their body. But we get, we can conceptualize the fact that even though this stuff is growing in their bodies, it's something they don't want and that they want to fight. Yet we take on the guilt of this compulsive eating and, and somehow this is our fault and we don't have to do it. And mainly I think it's because this is a cognitive disease. We, we, have, it, it, we can't go take a, you know, an MRI and say, oh, there's the compulsive eating, you know. They are, however, they are finding. There's, I mean, loads of studies. There was a whole Time magazine a few years ago showing the parts of the brain that light up, you know, when people's addictions kick in, and, and showing how the stuff is. The only point I'm getting at here is, is we, we need to understand there is scientific basis for this, you know, and that we don't have to feel guilty about this, you know. But we have to take our medicine. I mean, this is the disease. This program is our medicine. And if we don't do what we need to do, you know, we, we can't get better, you know? You know, you think about the fact that, in, you know, as bad as cancer is, you know what component compulsive eating has that cancer doesn't have? There's no component of cancer that while they, people have been found out they have cancer, that a little part of their brain says, oh, don't go get chemo. You can take care of this yourself. Don't worry about radiation. You don't need that. And that's what makes this disease even harder. Not only do I have a disease, I have a disease constantly whispering in my head that I can handle it myself. I can do this myself. I don't need any of these other things. And all these other things people are suggesting to me, no, I got an easier, softer way. Don't listen to those people. And, you know, that's, you know, it took me so long to get that first concept. Um, you know, the other part was the, was the concept of powerlessness, you know. Um, well, I, I'm not really powerless totally over food, and none of us are powerless totally over the food. Give me a piece of liver, I guarantee you, I'm not going to eat it from one end to the other. Spinach, I'm not going to eat But we all have foods that are alcoholic foods that, that we have to watch out for. Um, uh, but here's the problem. I'm 10 years in program, 
I'm up there because, you know, I'm a good little student. And you tell me I'm powerless, so I'm getting up there at every meeting. I'm powerless over food. And then I'd go eat. And I'd come back. No, I'm powerless over food. And then I'd eat again. I'm powerless. Eat. Powerless. Eat. How powerless did I really think I was? Think about it for a minute. I didn't, you know, what was I thinking when I went to go relapse again? Well, you know, the reality was I probably wasn't thinking about anything. I was just, go food, you know. But if I thought about it, I wasn't like saying, oh, the heck with OA. I'm done with OA. I'm leaving. I'm never coming back. No, what I was saying is when I am done, I will come back and I will get it back again. And the trouble was I was able to do that. I was powerful over the food in the small picture. Think about it. I would break my abstinence, and then I, and I had gotten it back over and over. And if anybody here has broken their abstinence and gotten it back, there's a part of your brain that says, that, that guy's full of crap. <laughs> I've broken my abstinence. I've gotten it back again. And that's what happened is, is that I had done it over and over. Okay, I had... I knew that if I broke my absence, I had to come back. I might have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I might have to get a new sponsor. I might have to do all this writing. And if I took all of my compulsive nature and put it towards stopping eating again, eventually I would grind that train to a halt. The trouble was the moment I did that, I was setting up the next one because I never really believed I was powerless over the food. You know, and it took me, I don't know how many years to, to get that, you know. I believe today, and I, I think most of you, I don't know, maybe some don't, I believe I'm powerless over a bullet and a gun. And you know how I've come to that conclusion? I have never once thought of putting a gun to my head, and as I'm pulling the trigger, say, I'll start again on Monday. <laughs> you know, that's powerlessness, you know. And that was the thing I didn't understand, you know. I... I get kidded in my other program about OA sometimes. Oh, what are they going to find you in a gutter with some Twinkies? You know, things like I tell them I've buried two sponsees in this program. You know, I have a, a really good friend, Jim, from, the, from back east. He was 600 pounds. He died in a fire. Okay, when I think of how I was going to die of this disease, I'd have a heart attack. I'd have a stroke. You have to occasionally be able to move fast. And if you're 600 pounds, you can't. Harlan talks about in this thing that if you're 600 pounds, you have a heart attack, you're done. They can't do C CPR on you. They push on you, and the fat just compresses, and it never compresses your thing, and they can't do anything. So Jim died that way. My, my, friend, my friend Dan, who I sponsored, uh, he, died. They, he went on a relapse. They found him in his home with goodies all there and TV on, and he was dead. And um, another friend of mine who wasn't a sponsee, but, but uh, I thought the world of a guy named Murray from up on our neck of the woods and wonderful. I have seen so many people dead. You know, if you've spent any amount of time in this program, you know people who are, are, they're just not, you know, they're not doing well, they're food, no, they're dead. They're literally on the wrong side of the grass. And the thing is like Jim and Murray, brilliant guys, brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Murray helped put things on Mars. I mean, he worked, you know, for that kind of business. And what really scares me about that sometimes is Jim and Dan and Murray, the thing about them was it wasn't like they didn't get abstinent. They had it. They had it and they let it go. And when I think about that, I think when they went to get that first compulsive bite, and early on, we, we don't hear that phrase as much as when I came in, the first compulsive bite and how important that is. If when they went to pick up their first compulsive bite, the thought went through their head, gee, you know, I'm going to go eat this, and then I'm going to try and come back, and I'm not going to be able to stay absent very much, and then I'm going to leave, and then I'm going to come back, and then I'm going to get disgusted with OA, and I'm going to leave altogether, and then I'm going to die. 
I guarantee you they wouldn't have picked up that first compulsive bite, but nobody ever thinks that way. And you know what? The longer I'm in program, the more I work that six and seven step and realize I'm no different than anybody else. And Murray, I guarantee you, was smarter than me. If it can happen to him, it can happen to me. And that's not the only reason I want to stay absent. There's so many more gifts, but shoot, you know, if that's, if that's what does it on any given day, it's better than going out. You know, I have, I have uh, people go, oh, I don't want white knuckle absence. I go, I don't either. But if it's a choice between white knuckle absence and eating, take the white knuckle absence. Because if you don't and you eat, you're going to come back, you're going to go through all that stuff again, and you're going to get back to the same place where you're having a white knuckle day, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, you know, it's just so funny, you know, um, how it works. You know, when I first came in, and I know some of the people have been here as long as me, you used to always hear the phrase, we don't eat no matter what. We don't eat no matter what. And in fact, you actually had to, I believe, hit the, hit the podium when you said it because it was... <laughs> but I heard somebody say the exact same thing in a much nicer way a while ago. Her sponsor told her, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it's always going to be the only option. It's always going to be the path of least resistance. Think of it. If you've got to go through something, you're going through emotional turmoil, and you have a choice of doing that or going to eat something that, A, you like the taste of, and B, did something at least at one point in your life to make you feel better, it's a no-brainer. And that's where I, I finally had to get to the concept of I am powerful over the food in the small, but if I pull that camera back, in, in, in the film business, they call it the establishing shot. Pull out, like in Gone with the Wind, when they pull out to see all these people, and I realize I really am powerless. And if I don't see it that way, I'm just going to keep doing this crazy thing over and over of eating. And, and, and um, you know, it had to become food could no longer become an option. And there's days where that is freaking hard <laughs> you know but it's it's an important thing to say you know i would love what you, everybody who's been here if you've ever you've been part and you've been overweight you've you've heard all these idiot things that people say to you, you know, well you know you know well, first of all my favorite is well why don't you just eat less you know <laughs> you know <laughs> well my god why did i ever think of that my god it's a, you know yeah, but the one I love is eating won't help the problem well of course we're not idiots we're fat but we may not be idiots we're not idiots Eating wouldn't help the problem, but it gave us a few go-away minutes, didn't it? It gave us a little bit of a chance. But the trouble is those go-away minutes got less and less and less and less until they were... The last time when I was in that relapse, I was miserable before I even picked it up. But it's, you know, it was all I knew how to do. It was a pressure valve that just kept getting looser and looser and looser. The first time, maybe it was something big. But the trouble is once that pressure valve's there, you know, it never goes away. But the thing I had to learn, go back out of powerlessness for a minute, about the, my disease is how it worked on me. I always like to say my disease is like the world's best salesman. You know? Think of somebody you know that's a really good salesman. You know, he's smooth and he's likable and he, you know, he, he's got a product he really is confident in and he's telling you about this wonderful product he's really confident in and he's trying to sell it to you, the compulsive eater, as to why you should go eat. Now imagine that's a salesman that can read your mind too. So anything you're going to say to have a no, I can't do this, he's got an answer, right? He's got, oh, no, you're going to say, you will start again tomorrow. Oh, no, no, you can, you can change your abstinence. You can make this part of your abstinence. Any one of these crazy things, my disease would just keep banging away like a salesman. And it's not taking no for an answer. And anything I say, it's just going to keep coming up with the reasons why I should go eat. And here's the really evil thing about it is if it does make the sale, if I do end up going off and getting into the food, as I'm in the food, it puts its arm around me and it says, oh, and by the way, this was your idea. No, it wasn't. 
I'm going to 15 meetings a week. I'm, I've got a sponsor. I am, I, am, I am a delegate at the inner group. I'm doing all this work. I don't want to eat. But in that moment, my disease convinces me it's my idea. And when I started to be able to try and put a face on the disease better, and I could see it as something coming at me, not just something where I'm changing my mind, it just sort of turned everything just a little bit sideways and made it a little easier. Because, you know, I had to realize that the part of my brain is, is constantly going to be trying to convince me to do something that's not good for me, you know? Um, you know... I just I know every neuron in my brain knows that that disease is there. It's running parallel to the part that wants to get better, and and I need I needed to understand and, and to also realize just how hard recovery is in a, in a way because of that. You know, you know my disease constantly wanted to help me find the easier, softer way here. I'm talking if you've been in for a while, it's not going to say oh don't go to OA. It's going to find the things within program. It's going to use every piece of information I have about program to use against me as to why I should go out and eat, you know? And, you know, it'll always look for the easier, softer way. It wanted to constantly help negotiate my recovery for me, you know? There's a, I think it's Ira up in the valley, so one of the old-timers says, you can't negotiate with your disease. You know, it wins every time. There's just no negotiating. And, and, and it's so important. The other thing that I, I'll say sometimes is that people get up on the podium here and... Um, uh, they want to all be positive, and they want to see everything positive. And so nobody ever says this, especially to newcomers or people in relapse. And I'm going to say it. This is hard. <laughs> you, know? I, you know, I wish somebody desperately had just said that to me once, either when I was in my relapse trying to get it out or not. It's not hard all the time. We're not masochists. Well, it's years of this. If we had to be doing what we were doing in the first 30 days of our program, we wouldn't be here. You know, we're not, we're not, you know, like I said, we're not masochists. But it's hard in the beginning. And there's a parts of this disease that I just like to mention about why it's hard because you know, we have to try and decide. Well, first of all, we have to eat. You know, and I hear people say, oh, well, alcoholics have to drink, but they don't have to drink out. Well, speaking as this alcoholic, I spent 15 years as a stand-up comic, and every night after a show, I got some drunk standing there telling me a joke with a drink right under my nose and blowing his alcohol in my... Never caused me to want to have a drink, you know, while I'm holding a, 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 you know, a soda in my hand. But I've had days where I wasn't in a fit spiritual condition. I'd finish my abstinence meal and I'd be like, more? <laughs> you know, and I want to keep eating because it, it is just so omnipresent in my life. It is much, it's just so much easier to have to, have to deal with when, the, it, when it comes up. And, you know, I was friends with Roseanne. And Roseanne used to get up and say, I was so arrogant. I used to say someday OA will be bigger than AA. And I used to say, no, that is actually a logical statement. Think of how many more compulsive eaters there are than alcoholics. The trouble is, AA doesn't have very much competition. We have billion-dollar industry out there of competition, a billion-dollar industry of easier, softer ways it's trying to sell. And the thing is, when you've got this kind of disease, it doesn't matter how intelligent... I, I don't know about you guys. I get, you get these emails from the Nigerian Prince Mobutu who says, told me I've won a billion dollars, right? You hit delete, right? I'm pretty intelligent. I will do that. But I'm standing in a supermarket line, and I look over at that tabloid that says, oh, new diet, that you lose all the weight, don't have to do anything, you can eat whatever you want. Oh, let me find out what that's about, you know? <laughs> Why? Because I want it to be true. I, you know, I want it to be true, and that's part of my, the, the, why this is hard, too. 
you know, it, it's also it's been with us. You know, the worst alcoholic doesn't usually get into it until they're teens. Food is with us from birth. It's mother. It's love. It's reward. It's memories of good times. It's all of these other things. It's socially acceptable. You turn on the TV, all these commercials, you know, you, you know, things I won't go into, all of these things that, you know, oh my God, it's wonderful, you know. You don't see that. You see commercials for alcohol, but you don't see in that same, you know, where is the commercial at the end of the Ben and Jerry's thing? It says, please eat responsibly. <laughs> right? No, they don't want you to eat responsibly, you know, and... Okay, look at all that stuff. Look at all those nice, wonderful, skinny people eating that horrible food. Now we'll go back to the go back to the TV show with the size zero models and people's heads explode. How can you have what you add in the commercial and still be a size zero? You can't. Um, you know, and also our disease wants to minimize it. Oh, it's just food, for God's sakes. Even those of us who are in other programs, it's, oh my God, it's just food. Well, guess what? It's just as powerful. For me, it's a harder disease. I really believe in my heart. Other things about this disease, this is one of the few addictive diseases where recovery comes with its own set of problems. You know, if you are a woman and you have been overweight and you're young and all of a sudden you lose weight, you've got a whole extra set of things. They, you can call them problems, but they are things. That, you know, most people in AA, they don't come in and go, God, I got sober and then, oh, I had all these things. No. But with, with things like sexuality and body image, it's another part. And again, these are just things to sort of reinforce this is a hard disease. You know, Number one thing I think about why this disease is hard is the manner in which it delivers the pain. You know, if the, Here's a phrase you don't hear very much. There's one good thing about drugs and alcohol. <laughs> is addiction slams you down. At some point, you just get slammed down, face down in the pavement, and it... The disease pulls you up in your bloody nose and says, okay, do you get it? You know, there is a there's sharp, acute pain that unless you're absolutely, totally gone, every once in a while goes, my God, what am I doing? The trouble with food is it's slow. It's chronic pain. It's insidious. It's slow. And if you've got a good brain, it allows you to just keep moving those goalposts and keep saying, well, I'll never get to 200. I'll never get, oh, well, okay, I'm at 200. Well, I won't, I won't wear 38 pants or I won't wear four. And you just keep moving. I, you know, the guy, Jim, Jim was brilliant, the guy I was talking about earlier, 600 and something pounds. I said, if I told you when you were in college, when you were 200, that you were going to be 600 pounds in a day, you'd tell me I was nuts. Why? Because nobody goes from 200 to 600. You go from 2 to 225, 225 to 235. And it's just that slow, insidious thing. And that's what the trouble with this disease is. This disease allows us to keep constantly accepting that which was previously unacceptable, right? The other thing about this disease is it makes us just uncomfortable enough to know we should be doing something about our problem, but not uncomfortable enough to be willing to go to any lengths. And, and, you know, it just, you know, just to mention that, you know, there's, there's this story scientists talk about, and I'll get off of this, about you can take a frog, a live frog, and you bring it toward a pot of boiling water, and the frog's not dumb. The frog, as you start to slowly bring it toward it, it's like, hey, I don't want to be here. You take that same frog, you put it in a pan of, of room temperature water, and you turn on the heat very slowly and you slowly turn it up and slowly turn it up, that frog will die in a pot of boiling water that it could have jumped out of. And that, to me, is the perfect analogy of this disease. We have a disease that keeps slowly raising the temperature. It slowly makes us feel more and more uncomfortable, but not uncomfortable enough sometimes, you know? 
And the other thing is, it's so good at using all of my information that I know against me. Again, 10 years in program. Let me just, I, I wrote down one time, I started writing down the things I used to say to myself when I was in my, in, when I was in my relapse. Well, I can't be on a diet, you know. We're all on a diet, folks, right? Aren't we? Like I said before, I was, I've been on a no-liver diet since I left my mother's house. You know, this idea, well, I can't be on a diet, you know. Um, one of my other favorites, I used to come into me and say, well, I ate last night, but I'm not going to beat myself up, you know. And then I'd come back the next day, I ate last night, and I'm not going to beat myself up. I think I did that about three or four times, and an old-timer from L.A. came up and said, you ever consider that eating last night was beating yourself up? You know, how can you do something that you know is self-destructive and then go stand in front of a mirror and say, I'm a good person, gosh darn it. <laughs> you know, if I believed that, I wouldn't have gone and done it, you know. The other one is, is we talked about it before. I'll work the steps uh, and then I'll get abstinent. I'll work the, well, uh, you know, if, if it could work, I'd love it. But, you know, you still got that first pesky first step there. If what are you saying if you say, I'm going to work the other steps and then I'll get abstinent? I am going to get abstinent. Where's the powerlessness in that, you know? Um, I'm praying for the willingness. That was another one I used to love. I used to say that over and over. I'm praying for the willingness, you know? And I, I was at a convention once and I heard this woman, uh, keynote speaker, say, when it comes to addiction, willingness is highly overrated. <laughs> Pain is what you need. Okay, pain is now. Obviously, the reality is the underlying thing is yes, you do need to be willing, but you can't will willingness. It has you have to be driven to willingness, and usually it comes from most of us from pain. Doesn't mean it has to come from pain. You know, I used to say, well, I guess I haven't hit bottom yet. And one old timer said, you know, bottom's not the goal here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. But the reality is you can pull your bottom up to wherever you are right this second if you choose to. If all you have to do is act like somebody who is about to die, who is ready to die, and I have to do whatever the hell. You know, i got to tell you, when I came to my first program, if you told me to go stand buck naked in the middle of the street out there and it would keep me sober, I'd have done it. And I never really had that same feeling with the food except, you know, I remember saying that guy, Jim. I said, Jim, the main difference between you and me, we had the same brain, exactly, is I had the gift of alcoholism that slammed me down. So I understood where I had to get to, you know, and it, it, it's the thing that really helped me. Um, you know, and the other one I, I do, and I do it at my comedy shows, but it's an actual real-life thing that came to me. I, I used to go into this whole, well, I'm, you know, I'd be, I'd be getting in the food. Well, I'm redefining my absence. I'm redefining, you know, three meals and a snack. What's a snack for me? Anything after five o'clock. <laughs> you know, I'd eat more from five o'clock to the end of the night with my, quote, snack than anything else. Or, you know, I'd have a, an absence Henry VIII could follow, you know, uh, or, or whatever. And one day I was doing it again, and it was like, I'm redefining my absence. A little voice in my head said, no, you've broken your abstinence. You're just redefining your honesty, <laughs> you know. And uh, that became actually part of the comedy act, but it was absolutely something that came to me, you know. Um, and that's the, hard, the hardest part about my disease is that it sounds like all the other little voices in my head. And I, I don't mean like paranoid schizophrenic voices, <laughs> you know. But, you know, you're driving down the street. Oh, I've got to take a left here. Oh, I've got to take a right here. Oh, I've got to go into the 7-Eleven and buy out all the ice cream. Wait, what? <laughs> And I had to realize my, with my disease, it sounded like everything else in my head. I had to listen for what it was saying, 
because it wanted to convince me to do things that I had already I knew was better. Again, all those quotes I mentioned were my disease trying to help me find an easier, softer way. And, and I truly believe when I look back at my relapse, my disease got up every morning with me with one job to do that day. And that job was to get me to kick the can down the road another day on actually putting the food down. And if it could tell me, oh, it's because I'm going to work on the steps, I'm going to work on my spiritual side, whatever it could do, that was what it needed to do. Because it knew if it could convince me today to not stop eating, it could probably convince me tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And that's what I had to realize, you know. Now, obviously, this is a threefold disease, and we do have to use all these steps. I believe you have to keep going. I heard somebody say once, put the food down, pick the steps up. It should be literally like that. And I believe that because I've seen people who've come in, they put the food down, they've done some of this stuff, and they don't work through all the way. Those are the people who usually go out after two, three, four, five years. And I've known people, you know, that long and more because you've got to do all the work. But in the beginning, I believe this is the one of the things. Because I think if you don't do this work, the character defects that I need to work on are, are my diseases like side window in back in you know I sometimes talk about uh, you know think of this this uh, you know recovery from this disease is like one of those zombie movies where you've got the front doors all boarded up so the zombies can't get in but you've got all these other windows here that are your character defects that the steps are going to then help you board up one by one as a way to, to, to deal with the disease um, um, and it keeps going. I heard a great line. This guy said it about three weeks ago. I wrote, you know, I stopped what I was doing, wrote it down. I don't think I thought about anything else for the rest of me. You know, has it ever happened to anybody? Guy said, the steps are not a rite of passage. They are a continuing, ongoing thing. And I know people who go, oh, I'm going to work the steps, and then, then, dot, dot, dot. For me, this is my life. You know, you know how many four steps I've done? <laughs> how many, you know? Yes, I still do step 10, 11, and 12 every day, but I still go back and do four steps once in a while because, you know, that whole, you guys have heard the expression peeling the onion, you know? Got to keep it. It annoys me because they keep making more onion on me. I don't get this. I peel, I peel. It's just, where the hell is this onion coming from? But I believe at the core of this is a a concept of a higher power. Now, there are probably people out here who have a really defined thing. They may go to church. They may not. They may have a very amorphous thing. They may have people who just are just stone-cold atheists. And it really, uh, you know, i got to tell you, for me, this program was put here for a reason, you know. Uh, it's the rowboat, as far as I'm concerned. I, I believe in the idea that, you know, that people were dying of this disease, 1935, people were dying of alcoholism. People were dying of compulsive eating in 1960. Lots of people. You know, I have known priests, ministers, rabbis, cantors, nuns in this program. If it was simply a matter of a conscious contact with a higher power, they wouldn't have had to have been here. But there is stuff, my higher power. I heard somebody say once that 12 steps are God's gift to the 20th century. And, and you know, whatever your belief in a higher power is, I believe there is an outline of how to do it. It isn't just a matter of a, I love the 12-step concept of a grounded-out higher power, you know. Not some woo-woo thing that I go in or go to the top of a mountaintop, but the idea here are grounded steps. God, myself, and another human being. That, to me, is such a key. You know, I always joke. I say, well, you know, me and God, I can go off to a mountaintop and commune and, and really get in touch with God and come down and say, you know, God told me chocolate's a vegetable. <laughs> you know? 
Luckily, I have a hierarchy of higher powers. And I tell my sponsor, and he goes, mm, for today, we're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, The point is that I, I always like to say, when I try and get in contact with my higher power, I don't know if the voice that's coming back to me is the voice of my higher power or the voice of my disease just doing a really good higher power impression. <laughs> you know, And that's why I have to have levels a hierarchy of higher powers of a sponsor a lot of people have a god squad people they can you know people they can bounce things off of and say does this sound right you know and and i do because i know to this day it doesn't matter how much time you have you you know you're up you're you're dealing with subjectivity you know my wife's a psychologist the key to being a good psychologist you can't be a psychologist for your family you can't be a psychologist because you're subjective you need objective people that's what my sponsor is i love him he's not He's not a god to me, but I trust his judgment. And that's, to me, a huge part of this, you know. Uh, God, myself, and another being, you know. Um, And I think that's where the idea of getting a grounded-out reality of the first three steps is so important, you know. There's a guy named Al S. up in our wreck of the woods. Some people who've got a long time know him. He he has over 40 years. He doesn't come to OA that much anymore. He's got 50-plus in AA, okay? He's a circuit speaker in AA. And he got up, he pissed people off the last time he said this. He got up at, uh, at Serenity Sunday and says, you know what the trouble with OA is? People, some people find a higher power before they find a food plan. <laughs> and people were like, ooh. <laughs> but I know what he meant. He, he meant that this is the part of the grounded out part of a higher power is to, to do the things that happen. You know, I say to sponsees, especially to new ones, and there's a lot of them who the God think, boy, it kept me out of, out of my first program for a good year and a half. I'd so this, oh, I don't want to be part of this religious group, you know, uh, this God, this. And, and, and what I came to understand is it doesn't matter what you believe. If you've got a core belief in a higher power, you know, my first meetings in my other program, a guy said, it took, to, it took me to be 65 years old to realize I could pray to God without going through Rome. <laughs> But it doesn't matter what, if you've got a firm belief in a higher power, you know, whether it's, you know, it's Ten Commandments, whether it's, you know, 613 vote, or whatever it is, great. If it's amorphous, you've sort of got an idea, it's the waves, that's great. If you're totally atheist, it doesn't matter. The key to grasping the concept in this program is not as much about getting a grasp on a higher power as it is coming to believe in your core of core that you are a lesser power, you know. That was what I had to come and realize. I am a lesser power. There are other people out there who know about this stuff better than me. And to me, that was the hardest thing. And when I, when I finally got there, you know, I'm at step zero. And you guys know step zero. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, you know, it's the most important thing, you know. I say sometimes, I'll, if I speak at a meeting where they read how it works and everybody up, you know, every meeting in my neck of the woods does, I said, you know, if I sat down right now, you've heard everything you need to know to get better. It's in the how it works. One of the problems, if there's a problem of criticism I have about reading how it works, is it becomes, it's like familiarity breeds contempt. But it's one of the most dense pieces of writing in the big book. And it says the things that we need to hear more than anything else. Half measures avail us nothing with complete abandon and willing to go to any lengths. It's, it's, not, it's not like left to uh, you know, understand. You know, you have to decide who's going to make the decisions in your life, you or your disease. You know, that was the thing. I looked back and I thought about, you know, I wanted to be the one making my decisions, not my disease. I would go, I'd go to restaurants that were lousy restaurants, but they had good bread. 
And when the bread was done, I had a shitty meal after that. But I didn't care. I wanted the bread. You know, that, that must be one of my personal foods. And, and it's what it came down. I heard a lady say this once. I love the line. She said, when it comes to this disease, uh, you can do what you want or you can get what you want. You know, I just love that. You know, you can do what you want or you can get what you want. And for me, you know, again, it's about to get things stopped and dealing with relapse, it's about the first three steps. You know, it's about, for me, it's actually about the first three steps in the tools because I always think of the tools as sort of an adjunct help for the first three steps, you know. But what's the really grounded out thing? You know, again, one of the problems that happens sometimes with the big book, it's, you know, it's, it's got a slightly archaic writing style because it was written in the 30s and, you know, that evidently there's no women in AA in the beginning. Except Marty Mann, the first AA, yeah. Female. First female in AA was gay. Did you know that? Just <laughs> in case you're interested. Um, I have a lot of gay friends. In the world. Anyway, won't go into that. Um, outside issues. Um, but the whole idea of the grounded out kind of a concept, what does the three steps really mean? Step one, I am powerless over food. I cannot trust my brain. I can't sit here and talk about that. If I don't admit I can't trust my decision-making process because I keep going in and out of relapse, obviously I'm not doing a very good job. So step two, part of that is I'm insane when it comes to this. I need a power greater than myself. And I look back when I was trying to come out of that relapse. Yes, I did need a God. I did need a higher power. But at that exact point in time, I needed a sponsor a lot more than I needed a God. And I needed one I'd be willing to, to listen to, you know. Um, and that was the part three. I had to be willing to, within the boundaries of reason, you know, turn over some of my decision-making about it for a while, you know. You know, and the phrase I used to hear all the time you don't hear so much now is take direction. Take direction. You know, somewhere along the way we wanted to empower people, you know. But the last thing you needed to do when I was coming out of a relapse was to empower me to make decisions about my family. It's like giving the keys to the inmate asylum, to, you know, the asylum to me, the, the chief inmate. I, you know, it was the last thing I needed. Um, you know, so that's the thing. I needed to become open-minded, you know. Um, the... You know, I would say I was open-minded. I'd say I was, oh, no, I'm open-minded, which meant uh, I would do what you told me to if I agreed with it. <laughs> you know, I'm open-minded. No, really. And I tell people to this day, some of the stupidest things that were ever told to me were told to me by a sponsor. I would hang up the phone and go, that's the stupidest goddamn thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but, you know, I came from another program where I got taught early on, bitch and moan and do it anyway, right? And so... I would hang up the phone, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and then I would do it. And when I was done, I went, that's exactly what I needed to do. Thank God I didn't allow it to go through the filter of this crazy brain because it would not have helped, you know? It would not have gone well. And the good thing about having that happen, as it happens more and more, you're more willing to say, you know, maybe I am going to listen to this person, you know? And, And so... You know, that's what I had to come to understand. Um, You know, we'll take a break in a second. I Just hopefully if you're in this, we're not going to actually take a break break. We're going to maybe do a little uh, exercise and maybe take a, uh, the ask it best going around. So if there's any questions, I'll I'll be more than willing to take them. You know, if you're in a relapse right now, there's part of you that probably came in here hoping for the magic answer. You know, you came in looking for the magic pill, you know. 
I always, I always joke, I love that phrase. You hear that at meetings all the time. I'm looking for the magic pill. He said, I'm a, I'm a compulsive eater. I just get hooked on magic pills. <laughs> you know, I'd want 20 magic pills a day. Um, no, but you are. You're looking for the answer. And the thing is, that's what my disease did. My disease was always looking. And it's like, oh, I don't want to hear this guy's full of shit. He's, he's telling me I've got to actually put the food down. He's telling me I've got to get a sponsor and be willing to, you know, I don't want to hear that. If it's made you feel uncomfortable, good. <laughs> I think it may help. It may help because, you know, maybe some of this is you'll think about. You may not do it right away, but maybe you'll start to think about the fact, you know, I love when I came in my first program, the phrase I heard, you know, somebody, somebody, I, you know, I had this character defect that I, because I was a fat kid and I always felt lousy about myself physically, I had to make sure you knew how smart I was as soon as I could. So I would be, you know, using big words and correcting people's language, real, you know, things that make you a real friendly person, right? Um, and I remember a guy saying to me, because I was arguing with him about, you know, getting in the program, he said, well, you seem pretty smart. And I, yeah, I think I, got, I can quote an IQ number to him. And he said, wow, you know, your own best thinking got you where you were today when you dragged your sorry ass in the door. <laughs> you know, and it was a really important thing to realize. Like, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't like hearing it, but I realized it was true. It's like, I need to be willing to do some of that stuff. So, um you know, hopefully you'll hang in there and, and, and go along with this. I had a, an idea for this thing, but maybe we'll, we'll see if there's any ask it basket questions first. We were going to do, I thought we had rounds, I mean, you know, the, the round tables, because what I've done at these relapse workshops is got, gotten people together in small groups to, like, maybe write about the voice of their disease and what kinds of things their voice says to them, you know. You know, and maybe, you know, is there a way you personally can find a way to put a face on your disease so that this isn't just another, oh, I'm changing my mind again kind of thing. Uh, you know, I know some people who, like, literally give their disease a name. Like, sorry, Harry, I'm not listening to you today, you know. Whatever, it, it's, it's, there's no such thing as, as, as a crazy idea uh, if it'll help you get out of the relapse. So um, we were going to, we were going to, um, Maybe what we'll do, I don't know, do we have any extra pens? Uh, well, I've got one. <laughs> Maybe what we'll do is we'll send this down and around. We'll send two, two of these things down and around. And people can just write down some, um, maybe we'll send one on each side then, I guess. And write down some things that your disease says to you to help you, to help you go out. You know, things your disease wants to convince you as to reasons you, you eat and then maybe we'll, we'll read them and talk about them. And then um, maybe if, at some point, if, if somebody could pass the ask it basket back up, we'll, uh, maybe I'll take a break from this and, and, and uh, talk about it. You know, and again, things your salesman, maybe I'll put it that way, things your salesman says to you as to why you should eat. And so, is the ask it basket around? Oh, okay, yeah, when you're done with that. Um, well, I'll, st I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit more, and then what are we here? Okay, good lord. I don't realize how long I talk sometimes. <laughs> I got to join on and on and on. Um, uh, on and on and on. It's for compulsive talkers. Um, well, let me just talk for a minute about sponsors. Get a sponsor. Okay, I tell people right away get a sponsor. Do not wait. Even if you don't like, you're not sure it's the one you want, get one now. Your disease is telling you, oh, no, wait, you'll find some. I have to say, one of the best little phrases I've ever heard was from OA's Tools of Recovery, where it talks about sponsoring. It says, 
Find someone who has what you want and ask he or she how they are achieving it. That is so, I hear people go, well, I'm looking for, you know, you'll hear this for three months. I'm looking for a sponsor. I just haven't found somebody I resonate with, you know. (laughs) You know, what you're saying is I haven't found a clone of myself yet. I haven't found somebody who will tell me exactly what I want to hear. And when I was in relapse, the last thing I needed was a clone of myself. But that's exactly the kind of things. And, you know, you can always change your sponsor if it's not going to work out. But in the beginning, try and find somebody who you, you can at least have some objective things and, you know, start working with them, you know. And, again, you can always get somebody later. I do suggest you don't just, you know, be changing sponsors every time they say something you don't like. You know, uh, be willing to work with them a while. Uh, But I cannot say enough. This is the first, second, and third steps, getting a sponsor. Be willing to do that, you know, so that, you know. And part of this is, oh, I don't want to be on a, I don't want to be accountable. You know, I want to come in and just sit in the back and audit this uh, program. And I don't want to actually have to be willing, you know, God forbid I have to tell people, A, what I'm eating. And then if I break my absence, I have to actually admit it, you know. So um, I really suggest that. Oh, cool. All righty. And hopefully I can read them. (laughs) I do retreat sometimes, and I get this thing go, okay, I guess this is English. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, if your mate doesn't get it, and you try, and, uh, and you pray, and they still don't get it, how do you handle them having their stash? Well, it, you know, i got to admit, you know, you, know, you can do the, the, the uh, empirical, oh, well, if you're working a wonderful program, it shouldn't matter to you. And it's like, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> I'm married, <laughs> you know. But the reality is there, there does have to be a point. You know, there was a lady in another food program I was in for a while. She used to say she, it, it, the topic was about Christmas time. And for anybody who ever works in, a, in an office and you're trying to be absent in the Christmas time, they wheel the truck up <laughs> with the goodies, right, at Christmas time. And the lady said, yeah, they do have that there. But you work in an office and you go by people's desks all the time and there are purses there, aren't there? There's money in those purses, aren't there? Do you say, wow, there's money. I can go get money. No, because it's not your money. And if you can start to think of that is not my food, just the way my neighbor's car is not my car. Most of us are very honest people. If we can just find a way to say this is not mine. And it is hard if you have a normie, you know. There's Okay, it's really hard if you have a normie spouse. It's even harder if you have a spouse that needs this program and you don't, you want to hit them over the head with a club and drag them in by their hair, but you can't, okay? Trust me, I went in another program for that. And it's so hard and to, to just be a good example. And hopefully one of these days it'll hit. All you can do is put a seed and then wait, you know? When it comes to 12-step stuff, I, I have friends and all I'll do is... I, I cast a little a little thing out like a fly fishing thing. I just happen to mention I used to be 100 pounds more, but I don't, I'm not anymore. And then I shut up, you know. And if they're interested, most people, if they're overweight, and you mention you're 100 pounds and you've lost it, they want to know how, <laughs> you know. But if you go, hey, you know what you need? <laughs> they're going to tell me what I need, and it's going to be a n- new tooth. Um, uh, uh, how has outside issues helped you, and how do you maintain the traditions? Well, it's it's reasonably simple. You gotta, you got. I was just talking to my wife about this. You have to know where the lines are for things. You know, I mean, I 
started to go, you know, you have to be so careful. We are here. We have a primary purpose, you know. I was at one of the conferences where exercise came up as a tool, you know. And uh, my, my friend Jack says, they're not going to be happy until there's 12 tools. They're just got, they got to, it's a number thing. They don't care what they are. They just have to have 12 tools. But, um, you know, and the thing came up about exercise. And while I'm a huge believer and I tell my sponsees all the time about it, I think it gets away from the primary purpose, you know. There's wonderful liver cleanse things out there. But Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't endorse any because liver damage is the result of alcoholism, just like fat is the result of compulsive eating and exercise takes care of that and the program and and the steps take care of the the real cause. Um, So that's part. Uh, Are we in relapse if we have a food in our food plan that we're really still addicted to? Okay, let me... Yeah, I got to say, we have a... We have a group up in, in the San Fernando Valley that they've started. It, it, this guy runs called so, the Sober Eating Workshop. In fact, there's, there is a uh, – C- I just happened to pass it. They have a CD out there from the birthday party, the Sober Eating, Eating Workshop. And this guy, Adam, he's, a, he's actually a psychologist. He started this thing. And, he, and he, again, he's not like one of these other 12-step programs with a defined food plan. But he says, here's the key. If there's a food you're eating, and while you're eating it, you're thinking, when am I going to get to have it again? That's really a food you got to get rid of. <laughs> you know, I love broccoli. It happens to be my favorite vegetable. But I'm not sitting there going, mm, boy, when am I going to get broccoli again? You know, but there are foods. For me, bread happens to be one of them. Certain, you know, sugary things. And so, you know, if you know it's a problem, then you're dancing with the, you know, dance. You know that dancing with the gorilla line. You dance with the gorilla. You know when you're done dancing, when the gorilla says you're done. You know. <laughs> Um, and the other part is, can we define our own absence and, and accept it? Well, again, I mentioned, here's this, this is what absence is. Anybody wants a copy, I have copies of these. But you can define food plan, uh, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But again, I don't think we can do this ourselves. We need to have somebody else that we trust and sit down and talk about. Like, Miles, I, 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 changed, I have a different sponsor now, uh, Carl. And uh, Carl and I had a rule that if I wanted to change my food plan, I could but it had to stay 30 days at a time. You couldn't change it, you know, a week at a time because you decided you wanted to do something. And he wanted to talk about it, too. And he wanted to know why I wanted to change it and things like that. Um, so that was one of the things uh, I think it's a really good idea. You, outside, again, you know, if we're really powerless, we need help. And, and again, yes, pray to God, but grab a sponsor and make sure chocolate's not a vegetable. Um, really, really enjoyed your retreat and found it quite helpful. Okay. Question, but it's it's cool. Thank you. <laughs> Any suggestions for how to help sponsees in relapse? Well, and uh, you know, again, you know, me, I don't know. That sometimes I think we try to be so nice. I mean, we are such people. Please, I had to go to another program. This other program I went to helped me become less of a people pleaser sponsor because we don't want to say things that are sometimes harsh. And, and, you know, I love the phrase, you know, say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean. Uh, you can say things and think about how hurtful it is to be um, complicit in somebody's disease by not being willing to tell the truth and say, you know, you know, I think maybe you got a problem with this. Or, you know, are you really willing to go to any lengths? It doesn't sound like you are, you know. I mean... I, I, I can speak against, uh, you know, I joke sometimes, it's like speaking against uh, mom and the American flag and apple pie to say, I'm not sure sometimes whether keep coming back unequivocally works. You know, I'm, you know sometimes in that other program I'll hear, there's a door, you know, 
you know, go out and do whatever you need to to be, come back and be willing to go to any lengths. And if you do come back, we have a solution. Because sometimes I think people stay around and get just comfortable enough in relapse cycle to not get better. Um, but I would say, you have to say, are you really, you know, right on, are you willing to go to any lengths? Is this true? And when they, well, I can't do that, say, okay, willing to go, remember we were talking two seconds ago about willing to go to any lengths? I, I, you know, I, I had a guy come up, he actually knew him from my other program, and he came in and he said, I want you to sponsor me. And Okay, he said, I'm going to be the most willing sponsor, sponsor you've ever had. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, okay, guy, I need you to do that. I can't do that. <laughs> no, no, I, okay, I need you to go to this, this amount of meetings. I can't do that. <laughs> you know, it's, it's you, you have to be willing to, you know. Um, so, okay, those are the questions I have right now. Um, I'm going to go back and just talk about a little uh, more about things, like about food, food plans, okay? Please get a sponsor and work on a sponsor on having a food plan. No, for me, it, I had various things about my food plan. I had to know, you know, I was, you know, the red light, yellow light, green light foods. You got, most of you guys know that phrase, right? The red light foods, the yellow light foods, the green light foods. I always joke, I said, you know, I know my green light foods. I know my red light foods. And my yellow light foods, 90% of them are red light foods I'm still screwing around with, you know? When it comes to that, that, that traffic light analogy, I'm in the yellow light and I'm hitting the accelerator trying to get through the intersection. Um, and, and to be willing to, to, to look at that and be willing. You know, the other thing I hear people go is, well, you know, the road will get narrower. I got to tell you, I tell sponsees, start off. You're in your point of maximum surrender right now. If you set this hugely wide abstinence, now, when you're just really ready to do something, is it going to really get narrower? So, you know, I believe, you know, I'm not saying make yourself anorexic, but maybe limit the number of things that you think are really yellow light foods. Then, after you have a certain amount of time, if you want to test that, you can, but get some solid amount of time under you, you know. I think we got to, you know, in some ways we pander to people's disease, when we try to tell them they can come in here and have something for nothing, you know, alcoholics have to stop drinking. You know, we have to be willing to do some of that too. Our disease holds up that spreadsheet. You know, my disease holds up a spreadsheet. It has one side whited out. It's saying, look at this. You don't get to eat this anymore. And you don't get to have that. You, don't get to, you know, but it's whited out the other side. This is, oh, you poor thing. You don't get to get winded just walking up those three stairs. Oh, your, your pants don't, you know, wear out in the crotch anymore because you're, your thighs rub. You, you know, you spend every Saturday night alone. You know, those things my disease never talks about, you know. And so, you know, I think sometimes talking about it is important. The other thing about a food plan is my disease loves vagueness, you know. It loves, oh, I want to keep it as vague as possible, you know. He wants to find the loopholes, you know. Years ago, I, I've been a baseball fan since way back in, the, in my day. They used to not have, they have a thing they in, introduced called a warning track. It's a little thing of dirt along the outfield wall because guys would be running for foul balls and slam head on into a wall because they didn't know where the wall is. Now they have like dirt and when they feel dirt underneath, they know, oh, wall's coming. If I don't have a warning track on my food, if I don't know what my food is, how do I know that I've gone over it, Right. I think we have to have these. It, it's, it, it's, you know, one of the problems we have in this program is we have various levels of this disease. And I know people say, oh, I can eat whatever I want. You know, this, I can't. I can't. I wish I could. God knows, you know. Um, there's a great guy named Ray up in the valley. He's got, God, he's, I don't know how old he Ray is now. I always joke Ray's been around since there were two steps, you know. 
and and I used to be in another program that had a very hard, you know, hard uh, abstinence thing, and it was very divine. Uh, and then I heard Ray one day say, Ray says, my abstinence is I eat whatever I want, whenever I want, as much as I want, if I'm willing to pay the price. And today I'm not, so I eat three weighed and measured meals, nothing in between except diet soda and coffee, which is exactly what that other program was. The difference is Ray is working his program. When I was in that program, I was working their program, and eventually it became an authority figure I rebelled against. You know, Ray doesn't allow that to happen. It's him. Um, the other thing about finding a, 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 something that's going to work for you is, is we have two ends of this disease. A lady named Nanette, who was supposed to be here this weekend, but she couldn't make it, um, she, she says uh, perfectionism is the conjoined twin of compulsive eating. And, and in a way, it's really true. You know, I, I tell people when it comes to working on a food plan, I, I, I feel like we the, the task we have is like like standing on on a stride, a steeply pitched roof. You know, imagine you're on like a roof of a Swiss chalet, and you can roll off in either direction. Well, the one way you can roll off is well, I ate. I'm not going to beat myself up. I'll do this, and well, you know, the easy. And the next thing you know, you're 400 pounds. But the other, si- other side is, I eat a pea I shouldn't have. Well, what the hell? I'm not perfect anymore. I'll go get a sheet cake. <laughs> you know, We have to find a way to find something we're going to be able to live with for the long term. I always say my absence needs to be strong but not brittle. Because the trouble with anything brittle is the slightest thing, it's gone. You know, And uh, I think it's, it's, it's important to find that way. Um, uh, I also believe I have a disease of perception, and therefore I have to have certain... I have things I call denial busters. My two big denial busters are called scales. Okay, I'm not a crazy take the scale to a restaurant, but I have a disease of perception that would... If I go to like Lowry's Steakhouse and they bring me out a steak like that, I'll look at it and go, yeah, that's four ounces. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? Uh... And I know today it isn't, you know. And so I, I, at home, mainly, I, I tend to buy things. And, and, and I don't do it as much as I do because I know, I swear to God, I can give you five, because I eat five ounces of protein. I can get it within a gram now. But the idea of having that just as a way of saying, I can't trust myself. This is the first step. I need a little help. It doesn't have to be everywhere. It doesn't have to be out in, in public. I can tell you another thing is when I go to a restaurant and when something comes out, if it's big, like I mentioned, I divvy it first because I'll sit there talking to you and next thing you go, what happened to that 16-ounce steak? It was here a minute ago. you know. Uh, and then the other one is, is this, uh, the actual weight scale. You know, uh, I'm a big believer in I do it once a month, you know, uh, or once a month until I got to go weight and then once, uh, once a week. That's why I tell my sponsors, sponsees. Because, again, I have a disease of perception problem. I can tell myself, you know, things are going great. Things are going wonderful. I get on the scale, I'm up 15 pounds. <laughs> so then I have to say to myself, okay, one of two things is going on here. Either gravity has stopped being a constant <laughs> or I'm having a problem with the food and I don't realize it. You know, And I have people, oh, I never get on a, 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 a scale. I never get on a scale. I, I'm on it all the time. I go, well, wait a minute. You're following a food plan, right? Yeah. Can't you follow a scale plan? Can't you follow a plan just like that and say, I'm going to get on once a month and just, you know, because to have a way? Now, there are people who, for whom maybe they're just so totally nuts they can't. But for me, I need that denial buster because my perception is just so bad, you know? And once you do get abstinent and you do, I mean, you've been at this a while, 
we then have the same decision every other human being who is not a compulsive eater is. It's how much you want to eat, how much you want to weigh. Nobody in OA says you have to be X pounds. You can be whatever you want. I, and the fun of getting to be a certain age, my metabolism went into the ground, and I had to start looking at eating. My, my old sponsor, Carl, says, when I came into program, I used to be able to eat this much hands this far apart, and now I get to eat this much hands half this far apart. And he goes, and I mourn that. <laughs> and it's true, because you know we don't get to eat. Um, I also like to tell my sponsees about meetings. Meetings, meetings, meetings. You know, these days, no excuses. You got online meetings if you can't get the regular meetings. You got others. It's important. Uh, it, you know, lady from my neck of the woods, I love. She used to say, "I go to meetings not because I'm a slow learner. I'm a quick forgetter." You know, and I love that because it's true. I, you know, and the other thing is, it keeps it green. You also get, you know, your problems. You're all by yourself. We have a disease of isolation. We'll just stay at home all the time. When you are by yourself, your, your problems become totally amplified, don't they? Every, I mean, my father, near the end of his, he, uh, near the end of his um, uh, life, he, you know, he lived alone, and, and the stupidest, he would tell me these stupid problems, and he'd be outraged by them. Okay. Uh, you go to a meeting. No matter what's going on, you're going to hear somebody who's got it worse than you. You're going to hear things, and you, you get out of yourself. You go help other people, you know? You know, clean house, help another alcoholic, uh, you know, that help another person, you know. These things are important. And it also grounds out. And there's also, so I believe there's a thing called group, a group strength, you know. People going through really tough, tough things, it changes how you think of your own problems. When I hear somebody get up and go, I, I got diagnosed with cancer. I hear somebody say, "My, the pet I've had for 20 years died. When I hear that person get up and say whatever, you know. And they, people talk about, Oh, I only want to hear positive pitches at meetings. I think any of those things that I just mentioned are positive if they end with the phrase, but I didn't eat over it. You know? When I hear people go up and go, why is this happening, this happened, and then I ate? Well, I know how to do that. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Where's the experience, strength, and hope there? You know? That's the other thing. I used to, my, when I first, I'll take a quick story. My first week in program in the other room, uh, they used to have meetings where they, they would just go around the room and everybody around the table got to share gets to me, I'm less than a week, and I spend, oh, and we didn't have timers then. Trust me, folks, thank God we have timers. <laughs> I, I went in and I started talking and pontificating. This is a person with maybe three days of sobriety right now. Oh. At the end of the meeting, my sponsor's standing at the door. Come here. <laughs> and he said one of the most important things he ever said. Let me tell you uh, thing, something about 12-step programs, kid. 12-step meetings are not group therapy. Read what it says in the preamble. We're here to share experience, strength, and hope. And right now, kid, you ain't got much of that, so sit down and shut up. <laughs> they used to say, take the cotton out of your ears and put it in your mouth. And remember, but you know, it's but that's an important thing. You know, take your. I used to always hear, take your mess to your sponsor and your message to the meeting. You know, that got lost somewhere along the way. Um, but. Uh, okay, I'm going to read some of these things. Oh, actually, yeah, I'll read some of these things first because this, these are things that people's vo the voice of people's diseases uh, say, hopefully. And, you know, I, I can't live without this particular food. I feel deprived of it. Yeah, again, you know, we're, we live in such a nation of deprivation, you know. Uh, but our disease will convince us of that. Food is love and happiness. Yeah, I had, a, I had a, 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 you know, my whole life of that, you know. You know, because I didn't have a family that knew how to actually say I love you. So, here, manja. <laughs> you know? 
um, uh, eating yogurt, fruit, and granola after, after dinner is okay because it's healthy. I can tell you of all the 400-pound people I see walking around Whole Foods convincing themselves it's healthy. Um, at least it's not candy bars. At least it's not Cheetos. Yeah, you know. I remember in my relapse, well, at least I'm not drinking. Yeah, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be the, uh, you know, the biggest sober guy in the uh, morgue. Um, I'll be hungry if I don't, you know. used to say, a guy, I used to, a guy in another program used to say, nobody ever starved between dinner and breakfast. <laughs> you know, that got lost somewhere along the way. But again, our disease wants us to believe these things. It's not like it's, it's foolish. It's what this constant salesman chatter is going on in our head. Uh, you can eat just a little. You know, I have to eat now. I'll die if I'm hungry, you know. You can start again tomorrow. Yeah, that's the... The ultimate, isn't it? The, uh, you know, if you ever get a chance, go to go to one of these these like the birthday party or something where you have the people with 20, 30, 40 years of absence. I guarantee you, not one of them started their absence on a tomorrow. They all started it on a today, and I guarantee almost every one of them, sometime on that first day, said, "Oh, screw it, I'll start again tomorrow." And for whatever reason, the grace of whatever higher power said no. And then somewhere in that first week, well, you've only got a couple of days. Uh, but they hung in. They hung in, and now they have 40 years. You don't get the 40 years without the first week, you know. And the first week, in a lot of times, is the hardest. Um, uh, let's see. Um, it isn't that bad. That's another thing. My disease wants to minimize all of this. Because and, and, if it minimizes it, it's not a problem. If I don't have a problem, I don't have to deal with it. It's like, you know, step negative one almost, you know. Uh, just one bite, one bite won't hurt. Well, God bless you if you can have one bite. I, I tell them, that's the other thing. I never went and just totally ever pigged out on something. I'll go to the, the, the refrigerator, take a little bit of something out, put it, and then you know there'll be a worn out thing in the rug there because I, you know I have got to delude myself into not just sitting down with a half gallon of ice cream and eating it. I've got oh no, I'll be dainty and eat a little at a time, and it, it, you know it'll just burn there until until it's gone, you know. I had, a, I had a roommate before I got married. The guy used to leave a half gallon of ice cream in there. It would get frost on it. It would turn to cheese. And it just drove me nuts that he could do that. <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm powerless anyway. Uh, so I might as well not fight it and just eat. You know, that, that, that is another thing my disease tried to say. Well, you know, if you're powerless, I just have to wait until the absence fairy hits me on the head. And then I don't want to eat and everything will happen nicely. You know? Again, I have to come back to the grounded out idea. The grounded out idea of how I think the program works. Um, um, okay, let's just see. Um, oh, then there's the efforts. You know, <laughs> f you, you f fill in the blank it. <laughs> you know, um, and yeah, and that is the hardest, probably the hardest one to deal with. The I don't care anymore. But then the other thing I've always heard from about relapse: think it through. What happens when you're done? What are you doing then? Are you saying you're coming back to the program? So how powerless do you think you are? Are you willing to hang in there? I mean, understand that there's so much more there. I look back. I, this balance sheet I was talking about one of my first couple of days, I look back now and it was ridiculous. What, what I had to get up, give up to what I have gotten is so astronomically out of proportion. Where at the time it was like, oh, the food is, is so astronomically out of proportion to what I'm going to get. And you just have to trust... It's not that way, and it's going to be easier, and it will get easier. But it's okay if it's hard right now. Admit it to yourself, and it's okay, you know. Um, 
I see other people eating in moderation. Absolutely. I wish God bless them. You know, that was one of the things that was so hard for me, that there are people in this room who can eat a certain can eat certain foods. I have sponsees that can eat foods I can't eat. I can eat foods sponsees can't eat, and, and it's okay. I just have to say, I have a disease. Think if you had diabetes, there's things you can't eat, you know. Uh, and there's other th- you know, and, and it's so hard, though, because this is what my disease is constantly chattering and, and to be able to say, okay, Mr. Salesman, no sale today because this is what it's always going to – it'll find something constantly. Um, uh, I can figure I can eat sugar in moderation. I'll start fresh on Monday. Yes, I understand that. My abstinence date is May 17th, and I'm getting abstinent on the 1st of January. <laughs> that was I had it planned I was eating from I always joke I go the, the holiday season for overeaters goes from Halloween to Valentine's Day the two chocolate holidays right that's it on the first the first of the year I'm going to get up so first of the year first of the year comes psh, how long that lasts maybe six hours May 17th is when I finally was able to pull it together so I, I can definitely understand that um, just won't bite again yeah just won't bite won't hurt you uh, oh, you've worked so hard, you deserve a reward, you poor thing. Yes, you deserve to be self-destructive. Um, it's so hard for me to cook, you know. Well, that's the other thing. You know, that old phrase, it's so true, but, you know, failure, uh, failing to plan is planning to fail. I need to figure out how to make my abstinence as easy as possible. So if you're the kind of person who works, you've got to think ahead. You, don't, you know, and do things, you know, for me, like, you know, having things I can just pull out and not have to think about, you know. Because I think part of my disease wants to blank that out so that it can step back one and sabotage me, you know? It, it's going to find whatever it can do to sabotage me on, on that kind of thing. Um, it's not a calorie co- counting program. It's a spiritual program. I'm learning to love myself, not beat myself up. Well, I think that's absolutely a perfectly valid thing. But if you are doing something with food that you know in your heart of hearts is self-destructive, how can you tell yourself you're not beating yourself up? You know, it's things that that are just that way. Life sucks. I deserve a little pleasure. Well, I understand there's plenty of pleasures out there, and life sometimes does suck. <laughs> I mean, you know, I deserve this. I've worked hard to see that. Uh, uh, problem is, you can you can get absent. You got yes. This is the thing I'm saying. You can get absent before, so I'll be able to get absent again. And again, that just sets up that cycle on and on. Um, you don't have good absence today anyway, so it doesn't count, so why matter? Right, exactly. Again, the point I want to get at, it's okay, I'll go exercise it off. Oh, there's another one, exercise bulimia, right? You know, that whole, that to this day is something I have to watch out for. You know, I, 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 a, a couple months ago, I got a piece of exercise equipment because I was slowly creeping up because of my metabolism, my age, and uh, all of a sudden, I said, oh, you know, I can do a little bit more, and, and, as, as I was saying it to myself, I go, this is exercise bulimia, John. You're not allowed to do that. You can exercise to be healthy. You can exercise for that. But you don't get to exercise so you can have some more food. Because that's, why not just take a laxative? Why not, you know, go throw up afterwards, you know? And, and yeah, so that's, that's another part of it. Um, uh, oh, you won't be able to sleep. Yeah, I, I remember that one coming up too, you know. Uh, uh, oh, I need to have that so I'll be able to go back to sleep, you know. I deserve it. You know, all of these things are things our disease, you know, will just try and keep chattering to us. And the, the, again, if we can really get in our heart of hearts that this isn't us, this is the disease, 
I think it gets easier to fight. You know, if, if, if it's just, oh, uh, you know, I'm changing my mind. You know, I came to L.A. 20 years ago. I got the L.A. Times. I started because I wanted to become part of L.A. And after about a year, I realized they were starting to stack up. I wasn't reading them. I called up. I got it canceled. I said, no, I don't want the L.A. Times anymore. I didn't the next day come up, oh, no, give me the LA Times again. <laughs> and then the next day, no, 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 cut it off, right? That's addiction. That's the difference between normal thinking and addictive thinking. You know, the fact that you, you keep doing things you tell yourself, you know, that you wouldn't do, you know. So let's see, got time for a couple of questions here. I have young children. What can I share with them so they don't get it or you or do, do I need to say anything at all? Um, uh, they are shack hounds. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, that's the hard, you know, it's, it's so hard. I've known people who've tr- desperately tried to not pass this addiction along. And I, the only thing you can try and do is eat healthy. But I, I've also known people who said, my mother was so, so controlling that she never had anything in the house. So then I went off in the other direction. I, I think you've got to find a way to try and be normal and, and, you know, try and say, well, what would a normal non-compulsive eating parent have for their kid? And then, and can you stand to have that in the house and not end up being a problem for you? And that's sometimes not easy, you know. But, you know, the other thing that, that I have foods I, on my food plan that I can eat, but I don't keep in the house. <laughs> you know what I mean? In other words, they're perfectly acceptable if I go out and get them somewhere. But if they stay in the house, they're just – I'll walk by the, the cupboard and I'll hear, John. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's in there. <laughs> You know, again, one of those foods that I'm thinking about when I can have it again, I should not have that in the house, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's part of it. When something unexpected comes up and you are late for your meal, how do you ha- handle how do you handle that? It's hard sometimes. I, God, I was at a business thing. They had a business thing at like an El Torito or something. And these people are all together and they're all drinking and they're all eating the chips and they could care less about actually ordering the damn meal. And I had my abstinent meal at noon, and I'm like, come on. <laughs> and finally, I'm like, guys, I got a blood sugar problem. I got to eat. <laughs> you know, and I was pretty obnoxious about it. And, but I had to take care of myself. I had to, you know, I had to find a way. Now, you know, I'm not going to starve. I know that. But, you know, uh, at a certain point, you do have to look, look out for yourself. And like I said, part of my disease very often wants to sabotage myself by not um, planning ahead, you know, this way I can say, well, I, I just got sort of caught off guard. You know, I, I can't, I have a deadly disease. I need to be planning as if I have a deadly disease. You know, uh, I, I have friends who carry little things of pedo with them all over the country. (laughs) And, and, and so anyway, that's part of what it is. Um, we're going to run out of time here and that's okay. Uh, I just want to see if there was anything else I wanted to talk about. Um, uh, well, just I'm going to go again. This was about the early parts of the steps. Obviously, there's 12 steps. I'm not going to have a chance to talk about all of them. But service, okay? I'm a huge believer in service. First of all, it gets you into this program. You know, you're no longer auditing. You're a part of the group. You know, and when I when I first heard of service, I'm like, ah, you people just want to find a way to get some free labor out of me. You know. It, the great thing about this program is very often it has you do things in reverse order. It has you do things, and then you realize why you should do them later. You know, and I did the service, and then I was like, wow, now I see what it's about. It's about giving of myself without getting, giving of myself without thinking. You know, There's a famous reading called Just for Today where it says you know, we will uh, do 
people a good turn without getting found out. It's about getting good self-esteem, doing things for yourself. You know, people say, how do you get good self-esteem? By doing esteemable acts, you know, and, and, and to just do things without worrying about it. And, and it gets better and you begin to get out of yourself and you still want, then you want to get out of yourself, you know. And so that's what service did for me. You know, and that was a lot about doing the tools. Uh, four step on, again, I'm just going to like rattle through what I would do at a, at a retreat. Four step, don't put it off. Don't put it off for a second. Start a four step as soon as you can. I always tell my sponsees, there's no such thing as a fourth, fifth step. There's a fourth step and then there's a fifth step. The fourth step is for you to look at. The fifth step is to share with somebody. Don't ever write a fourth step with any thought at all as to who you're going to give it to. Don't worry about that until you're done. You can give it to a, a clergyman. You can. Give, I gave one to a therapist. Don't. It does not have to be done with a sponsor. Because if you do that kind of thing and you go, oh, my God, I don't want to tell so-and-so about this, you're not going to do a good fourth step. So I'm a big believer in that. Um, I also, I tell people, don't write a Russian novel. If you're going to be here, you're going to be here for a while. You're going to do more than one. Try and be as thorough as you can, but be careful to, because sometimes the, the idea of I want to get everything out is a way to delay having to finish it up, you know. And um, uh, I'm a big believer in the big book version, you know. I know people have the, I've done the 180 questions, <laughs> but... Um, the big book with the columns and then the extra thing of what's my part in it, to me, that helped me so much because then uh, um, I was able to sort and see, oh, look at all these character defects. And then, by the way, don't burn it. You burn it, but make a copy because you're going to use that for your eighth and ninth steps, you know. Um, but I can tell you that it, the front, the fourth and fifth were front-loaded with pain for me because you couldn't see how good you'd feel when you got it done until you got it done. But I walked out walking on air my first time, you know. I walked out. I had not been able to look a person in the eye for 20 years. And then I was able to, to go out. Well, not 20 years, but, you know, I was, it, it was a long time. And all of a sudden, there was such a weight lifted, you know. And then the other thing, real quick, working on the character defects. My two hugest character defects, and I think it's for, for a lot of people, is immaturity. You know, we want what we want. I want to, you know, I love, I said to somebody when I was quoting them more about alcoholism, it's the great desire of every compulsive eater to someday eat like a normal person. And my sponsor said, no, no, we don't. We don't want to eat like normal people. <laughs> you know, a normal person takes a bite of a piece of cake and says, oh, that's too much. Uh, no, we want to eat the way we want without any of the ramifications. That's immaturity. And there's so much I hear in the other program, the alcoholic person, it's an immature personality. And then the other thing is self-centeredness, narcissism. In the big book, they talk about self-centeredness. Everything is about me. And it amplifies all my problems because if you cut me off on the highway, well, you look what you did to me. No, no, the guy's just clueless. He's talking on the phone. He's doing all But, you know, but those, if I don't work on those things, that's the side door my disease gets back in with, you know. No matter how much time and how much I've been working on the food, you know, those things will be the reason, you know, I eat again. And, uh, you know, the other thing is getting the concept of humility. You know, somebody used to say, this, uh, to me, the six and seven steps are the ones that are totally, we blow by them. There's a paragraph in each in the, in the big book. It's about, um, it's not about humility. You know, you, you know I heard, when I first came in, I heard humility as humiliation. And then I heard humility is like I got to become like the Dalai Lama or a monk. Somebody said once, humility is just having an objective view of yourself in the world. You know, you're not at the top of the heap. You're not at the bottom of the heap, you know. You're another bozo on the bus. And the other thing about that is when you really do get that, you can become teachable. I considered myself, I'll wrap up. I consider myself really smart because that's what they told me. 
But if you told me not to put my hand on a stove, you'd say, don't touch that stove, it's hot, I would have to go, ow, you're right. <laughs> you know? Because for whatever reason, I, I couldn't grasp that. Now, you tell me it's hot, fine. You tell me you, you went out, you did this and you went out. I'm not going to do that because I don't want to go out, you know? And, and part of that is, and I, you know, one of the things I'll just say is, is somebody said once, intelligent people learn from their mistakes, but people with wisdom learn from other people's mistakes, you know? And it's a great thing. Anyway, I have jabbered on way too long, and I thank you for uh, listening. <laughs> Thank you, John. That was great. Um, just a housekeeping note for um, tonight and tomorrow. There are still meals available um, for tonight. There's a speaker for dinner, um, and that's happening in the Royal Palm Ballroom. And then for Sunday breakfast, there's also still meals available. Um, it's now time to close. Uh, again, thank you, John, so much. Um, yeah. If anybody has really severely been having trouble with a relapse, see me after the after this. Um, and let's stand and join hands. And we are going to say the OA promise, which John, I hope you know that because it's not printed here. Put my hand in yours. Yes. Oh, okay.